0: There were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. Acts thirteen 1, 2 before being sent forth as missionaries to the heathen world, these apostles were solemnly dedicated to God by fasting and prayer in the laying on of hands. Thus they were authorized by the church not only to teach the truth, but to perform the rite of baptism and to organize churches being invested with full ecclesiastical authority. The Christian church was at this time entering upon an important era, The work of proclaiming the gospel message among the Gentiles was now to be prosecuted with vigor, and as a result the church was to be strengthened by a great ingathering of souls. The apostles who had been appointed to lead out this work would be exposed to suspicion, prejudice, and jealousy. Their teachings concerning the breaking down of the middle wall of partition, Ephesians 2.14, that had so long separated the Jewish and the Gentile world. Would naturally subject them to the charge of heresy, and their authority as ministers of the gospel would be questioned by many zealous, believing Jews. God foresaw the difficulties that his servants would be called to meet, and in order that their work should be above challenge, he instructed the church by revelation to set them apart publicly for the work of the ministry. Their ordination was a public recognition of their divine appointment to bear to the Gentiles the glad tidings of the gospel. Both Paul and Barnabas had already received their commission from God himself, and the ceremony of the laying on of hands added no new grace of virtual qualification. It was an acknowledged form of designation to an appointed office in a recognition of one's authority in that office. By it the seal of the church was set upon the work of God. To the Jew, this form was a significant one. When a Jewish father blessed his children, he laid his hands reverently upon their heads. When an animal was devoted to sacrifice, the hand of the one invested with the priestly authority was laid upon the head of the victim. And when the ministers of the church of the believers in Antioch laid their hands upon Paul and Barnabas, they, by that action, asked God to bestow his blessing upon the chosen apostles in their devotion to the specific work to which they had been appointed. At a later date, The right of ordination by the laying on of hands was greatly abused. Unwarrantable importance was attached to the act as if a power came at once upon those who received such ordination, which immediately qualified them for any and all ministerial work. But in the setting apart of these two apostles, there is no record indicating that any virtue was imparted by the mere act of laying on of hands. There is only the simple record of their ordination and of the bearing that, it had on their future work. The circumstances connected with the separation of Paul and Barnabas by the Holy Spirit to a definite line of service show clearly that the Lord works through appointed agencies in his organized church. Years before, when the divine purpose concerning Paul was first revealed to him by the Savior himself, Paul was immediately afterward brought into contact with members of the newly organized church at Damascus. Furthermore, the church at that place was not long left in darkness as to the personal experience of the converted Pharisee. And now, when the divine commission given at that time was to be more fully carried out, the Holy Spirit, again bearing witness concerning Paul as a chosen vessel to bear the gospel to the Gentiles, laid upon the church the work of ordaining him and his fellow laborer. As the leaders of the church in Antioch ministered to the Lord and fasted, The Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. God has made his church on the earth a channel of light, and through it he communicates his purposes and his will. He does not give to one of his servants an experience independent of and contrary to the experience of the church itself. Neither does he give one man a knowledge of his will for the entire church, while the church, Christ's body, is left in darkness. In his providence, he places his servants in close connection with his church in order that they may have less confidence in themselves and greater confidence in others whom he is leading out to advance his work. There have ever been in the church those who are constantly inclined toward individual independence. They seem unable to realize that independence of spirit is liable to lead the human agent to have too much confidence in himself and to trust in his own judgment, rather than to respect the council and highly esteem the judgment of his brethren, especially those in the offices that God has appointed for the leadership of his people. God has invested his church with special authority and power, which no one can be justified in disregarding and despising, for he who does this despises the voice of God. Those who are inclined to regard their individual judgment as supreme are in grave peril, It is Satan's studied effort to separate such ones from those who are channels of light through whom God has wrought to build up and extend his work in the earth. To neglect or despise those whom God has appointed to bear the responsibilities of leadership in connection with the advancement of the truth, is to reject the means that he has ordained for the help, encouragement, and strength of his people. For any work in the Lord's cause to pass these by and to think that his life must come through no other channel than directly from God, is to place himself in a position where he is liable to be deceived by the enemy and overthrown. The Lord in his wisdom has arranged that by means of the close relationship that should be maintained by all believers, Christian should be united to Christian and church to church. Thus the human instrumentality will be enabled to cooperate with the divine. Every agency will be subordinate to the Holy Spirit, And all the believers will be united in an organized and well-directed effort to give to the world the glad tidings of the grace of God. Paul regarded the occasion of his formal ordination as marking the beginning of a new and important epoch in his life work. It was from this time that he afterward dated the beginning of his apostleship in the Christian church. The Acts of the Apostles, pages 160 to 165. It was at the ordination of the twelve that the first step was taken in the organization of the church that after Christ's departure was to carry on his work on the earth. Of this ordination, the record says, He goeth up into a mountain, and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach. Mark 3, 13, 14. With gladness and rejoicing, God and the angels beheld the scene. The Father knew that from these men the light of heaven would shine forth, that the words spoken by them as they witnessed for His Son would echo from generation to generation till the close of time. The disciples were to go forth as Christ's witnesses to declare to the world what they had seen and heard of Him. Their office was the most important to which human beings had ever been called, second only to that of Christ Himself. They were to be workers together with God for the saving of men. As in the Old Testament, the twelve patriarchs stood as representatives of Israel, so the twelve apostles stand as representatives of the gospel church. Idem pages 18-19.